We're going to start with two readings that will frame this time and message. The first is from Psalm 51, where King David prays, Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. Second is from 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter 1 says, Be truly glad. In fact, there is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise, glory, and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So, good morning. If we haven't met yet, my name is Rob Jacobson. I'm the planting pastor of Restoration Covenant Church, which basically just means that I got here first. So, I mean, we could joke about it, but it's kind of true. It was a long time ago, and yet so, so close that I remember the four-day little adventure that I got sent on with my wife when we were assessed by the denomination to see if we were fit for church planting, which was like a four-day spiritual gauntlet where your every move was observed and prayed over and blessed and questioned. It was wonderful and awful all at the same time. And when we came home from that, our kids were toddlers and preschoolers, and we got the full approval. We had shock, awe, and fear. My wife heard from God first that we were supposed to do this, and I said, thank you very much. I'll wait to hear from God too, which is a little bit of its own dangerous prayer, but when it finally also came, I called my church planting director, Mike, and I said, Mike, I think we should go out for coffee. And so we sat across the table, and we started talking and dreaming about what this not only yes from God and yes from the denomination and yes from my wife and yes from me meant, and he said, well... I have two promises for you. And I'm like, okay. And he said, number one, God will use you. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't want to be used by God, right? And he goes, well, number two, you will be broken. Oh, okay. Now, I don't know how many of you have prayed, break me, God, before, but I did once early in my faith. I was a sophomore in college, and I was a resident assistant. I was on the varsity swim team. I was on the college marching band. I was taking 16 credits, 10 to 12 of which were engineering, and I was doing a pretty bad job of volunteering at a church in a youth role. And I couldn't, I knew I was doing too much, and yet I did not know what to choose and what to say no to. So I just said, fine, you know what, God, you're just going to have to break me because that's the only way that I will quit one of these things. Dangerous prayer. Two days later, maybe it's coincidence, I tripped going down the stairs that I might have even tripped going up the stairs. I did both. But 
I twisted my ankle to the point that I ended up quitting marching band. Yet I'm very stubborn, so I ended up staying on the swim team, limping to the starting blocks with a taped ankle for one of our meets. Because I am a slow, slow learner. Break me may not seem like a wise prayer, but it is a dangerous one. Because I can imagine, because I have these things, I'm guessing you have these things, that if I said, what would you like to change about yourself? What would you like to improve? You have something, don't you? In fact, just to prove my point, on the count of three, we'll just all shout out that thing that we so desperately want to change. Ready? One, two. Now, I know I was going to be the only one, so. (laughs) Because it's not just the things that we want to change that comes to our mind. It's also those things that when we see them in others, they cause this ugly response in us because we know that that thing that we see in them is so incredibly attached to the very fiber of who we are, and if we were honest, we despise it. But when we pray, break me, we are not just praying for those things We are praying for God to do an amazing and marvelous work. And I want to suggest today that if you do pray the break me prayer, that number one, it is dangerous, and number two, it might be very, very hard, but you will also discover that there are very, very good things that God put in you before you were born that often can't come out until you are broken and remade. It's like that in the earth when God put the seeds in the ground, they were in the dark and it wasn't until they broke open that they emerged from the ground. It's like that in humans too, that sometimes these things do not come out unless you're broken and remade. So today to look at this, to consider this, we're going to look at the popular disciple of Jesus known as Simon or Peter or Simon Peter, and we'll see what break me and remake me looks like, and then we'll see so what, as in what difference does it make in your life and mine. So, let's go. First verse we're going to look at and where we're going to kind of anchor from is Luke 22, Luke 22 is where Jesus is having the Last Supper. He knows that his time has come and he himself is going to be broken. He has taken the bread and he has lifted it up and given thanks to God for it and blessed it and now has broken and divided it and shared it amongst themselves. And then there's an argument about who's the greatest. And then Jesus interrupts their argument about who's great and says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail or may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you, even death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, The rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. 
Now, there are a lot of times in the Bible that people are given two names. Abram, Abraham, Sarai, Sarah, Jacob, Israel, Simon, Peter. But there are very few times that the different names that God has given them or that emerge come in the same dialogue and go back and forth. So what's going on? He starts with Simon, he goes to Peter, and then Peter, Peter says Peter, and then Jesus calls him Peter. Well, you have to know that nicknames in our culture are very common. We kind of throw them around and try them out and see how it goes. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But in those times, names were sacred. Names meant something deep. And so Simon is this derivative of Simeon, and in Hebrew it means hear or hearing. And Peter means rock. Now, it's ironic, especially if you've ever studied Peter, that Jesus would call him this because he's anything but a rock. He's impulsive, he is emotional, he is unsteady, he's passionate, he's definitely not a rock, a firm foundation. Something that could be used to strengthen others. Wise man built his house upon the rock. This is why I'm not on the worship team. But the first time that Jesus meets Peter in John 142, or Simon, Jesus looks at him, his brother has brought him here, and he says, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Peter. It's not a nickname. It's a declaration of, I believe, what Jesus sees in him. And he sees the good, but maybe he sees some not good. So when Jesus addresses him as Simon or hearing in Luke 22, we have to read it a little bit like this. Hearing, hear this. Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat but I prayed for you. Now, when they sifted like wheat in those times, they used a stone or a wooden roller to break and crush the the husk of the wheat so that it could separate from the shaft and then you'd have the seed. So they would roll that across it or they would take it and they would use a stick or a broom and they would beat it. They would hit it to crush it, to separate it, to break it apart. So to sift something is to break or crush or shake or separate so you can get the valuable seed away from the useless chef. It is this figure of speech that Jesus is telling, hearing, Satan wants to pick you apart, but I have prayed for you. I'm guessing you all know what it's like to be picked apart. I was told that if you go into church planting, your greatest strengths will become even greater and your greatest weaknesses will become even greater. Yeah, and then people will pick you apart. But who do I do it for? It's part of my story and part of what God needed to break in me was if you get picked apart by people, will it matter to you? Or will you be so focused on the Father's agenda and the Father's will and so in love with him and so obedient and hearing of his words 
that it will be okay. My story. Now, Peter's story is hearing, hear this, Satan wants to pick you apart, and Peter calls himself the rock. The rock replies, I will go with you to prison and death. I'm not unsteady. I am willing. I'll go first. I'll say it. And Peter and Jesus says, okay, rock, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Meaning, rock, you're not as steady. You're not as firm. You're not as strong as you think you are. Now, Jesus didn't say that. I, I, think, he, I think he's implying that. And it's not a judgment, it's just a reality. Now I'll give you three quick reasons why. So the first one is in Luke 5. And the reason that Peter and Jesus are having this exchange is because Jesus sees the good seeds in Peter, or Simon, or Simon Peter. He sees the good in him. There's very valuable stuff there. But he also sees the not good. And maybe why Jesus is allowing Satan to have this permission to sift him like wheat, even though Satan wants to use it to pick it apart, Jesus says, oh yeah, bring it on, because this will separate the good from the not good. And we see it in three passages. We could do more, but we're just going to do three. So the first one is in Luke 5. In Luke 5, it's very early in Jesus' ministry. Jesus is standing by the Sea of Gennesaret. It's also the Sea of Galilee. And he is teaching, and the crowds are getting so big that he's going to go out in a boat and use the natural amplification of the water to speak to the people. And he sees two boats, and one of them belongs to Simon, Simon Peter. And he says, hey, let's go out in your boat, and I'll teach from there. So Peter, or Simon, being in his boat, says, all right. He sits in the boat. He listens to Jesus from that view. I kind of get a picture of that. And then after he's done teaching, he says, Simon, let's let down your nets for a catch. Now, Simon is a great fisherman. Simon knows the water. Simon is a a younger, I mean, he's maybe the older brother of Andrew, but the other boat has the sons of Zebedee, James and John, in the boat. They're with their father. This is why I think Simon Peter is a very good fisherman. He's already got his own boat. He's no longer under the boat of his father. He has now made his way. He knows the water. He knows where the fish bite. He knows when the fish bite, and they don't bite at this time. But what is the good in the story? Simon, who means hearing, hears Jesus and does what he says. So if you want to remember this, you might say, Simon listens before Simon says. Uh-huh, uh, Simon says. Okay, he's teachable. Because he says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught a thing, but because you say so, I'll do what you're asking. Jesus sees this good seed in him that he hears and, and listens and does. It's a good, good thing. But right after that in the story, when all of those fish come into the nets in Luke 5, um, verse 6 through 9, then all of a sudden they have to call the other boat out. The fish are going to break the net. They're getting them in the boat. Now the boats are starting to sink. And instead of being like, oh my gosh, we got so much fish. That was awesome. Or instead of being like, oh, I can't believe it. Or even, Jesus, how did you do that? You're amazing. He says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Man, go away from me. 
what Jesus saw in this moment was also not good. And it was that if I'm a sinner, that I need to be far, far away from Jesus. He hasn't yet seen or accepted that you can be a sinner and Jesus is okay being real close to you. He thinks that his, his love for Jesus is not as strong as his sin. So, second one, second one, Matthew 14. Matthew 14, Jesus has fed the 5,000. You, you, you with me? You're not good and not good right there in Luke 5? Just give me a nod. Yes? No? We're still? We can go back. No. All right, Matthew 14. Jesus has fed the 5,000. It was pretty amazing. Then he sends the people away and he sends the disciples in a boat, go on to the other side. We need to have some quiet time. And then he goes up on a mountain by himself and has amazing quiet time, almost till the break of dawn. It says shortly before dawn, and there's this saying that it's always darkest before the dawn. So in Matthew 14, Jesus is coming out to see them who are struggling in the boat, okay? They are beating against the wind and the waves. It's not good, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes out on the water, walking on the top of the water, and they're like, oh my gosh, it's a ghost, and they're super afraid, And in that moment, Jesus says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And what do the disciples do? They're like, yeah, right, we're totally afraid. No, Peter, not Simon, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, then tell me to come out on the water. Now, foolish or courageous, he went first. I believe that Jesus sees this good quality in Peter, in him, in the rock. I will go first. I will be a leader. I will have courage to do what other people are afraid to do. That's the good in him. And he walks out on the water. He acts when others can't. That's a good, good thing in this person. Now, there's some not good in that story, too. Because after he walks out on the water, he takes his eyes off Jesus, he looks at the wind and the waves, and he's more concerned about not drowning than about keeping his eyes on Jesus. It's not good quality of the rock. And Jesus says, immediately, first of all, he reaches out his hands and caught him. But then he says, you have a little faith. Why did you doubt? See, the not good in this is he thought his faith was stronger than his doubt. Simon Peter thought his faith was stronger than his doubt. Now, whether it is or whether it isn't is a little bit of a side point. It's the not good in the midst of the good. Third story, Matthew 16. Matthew 16 now, Jesus has taken uh, the disciples up into this region where there's not a lot of Jewish presence and it's kind of in the three-quarter point or two-thirds point in his ministry. They're gonna start going in, and um, he's gonna start revealing himself, but he hasn't yet really truly revealed himself. And so he asks, hey, who do the people say I am? And the disciples say, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. You know, uh, there's a lot of speculation out there. And then Jesus says, who do you say I am? And he points to 
all of them. It's a, who do you all say I am? If we were in Texas, he would say, who do y'all say I am? Actually, just y'all, right? It's just one syllable, y'all. And Peter, Peter says, Peter goes first. In fact, Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, or Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So in this story, we have Simon Peter, who answers, hearing and rock answer. And Jesus says, blessed are you hearing, son of John, which is Jonah, which is Yonah, which in Hebrew is peace, or dove. Blessed are you hearing, son of peace. This was revealed by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are the rock. This is who you are. Jesus is showing, again, there's this good in Peter that he sees. He needs someone who will go first when he dies and is resurrected. He needs someone that will be a leader amongst them, but he doesn't need someone who's going to waver, someone who's going to waffle, someone who's going to not be a firm foundation for others. He needs the person that he already sees. And he's Simon Peter in this moment. We're not sure if he's hearing or he's rock, because that's sometimes our life. We're not sure if we're this person or we're this person. It's the good in the story, but right after this moment, there's a not good. Jesus begins to tell the disciples that he will go to Jerusalem and suffer and at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law that he will be killed and one day raised to life. And the rock begins to rebuke him. Never, Lord, this will never happen to you. And instead of being called hearing or rock, he's called, get behind me, Satan adversary. You do not have the concerns of God on your mind. You have concerns of people. Now, I would think that would be a pretty big breaking point, but it just means that there is good and not good in Peter. And the not good in Peter at this point is that Peter thought his plans were stronger than Jesus' plans. I'm sure we never do that. I'm sure we never bring our plans to God and say, oh, these are so much better than yours, God. But that's what Peter's essentially doing. So I give you, I offer you these three stories from Luke 5, from Matthew 14, and Matthew 16 to say that Peter or Simon or Simon Peter has good and not good in him. And sometimes we need to be broken open so that we can separate the good from the not good. We shouldn't have to try and separate that, but God wants to separate that. Because this isn't just Simon Peter's story. I hope you see that, friends. This is our story. We all have good and not good in us. At one moment, we do things that we know that didn't come from us, that came from way outside of us, that was something eternal, that was something that points to the goodness and mercy and the graciousness of the Lord. And then the next moment, someone should say to us, get behind me, Satan. That's our story. And I want you to hear today that Jesus sees all of that. He knew it all anyway. But 
those good things that he put in you, he put in you from before you were born. And he sees them better than you because he created you. And the only way that some of those things, some of those things, some of those things can come out is by being broken and remade. So we're back to Luke 22. Where Simon Peter, not once, not twice, but three times, denies that he knows Jesus. And the third time, he's in the temple courtyard near a fire. He's warming himself. Jesus is being in the courtroom of the temple corner, being falsely accused of this, being mistreated. And he denies the third time. And it says in the text that the Lord turned and looked at Peter the rock. I mean, it's one thing to have your not good come out. It's another thing to have your not good come out in front of the people that it would matter the most to you. And then Peter remembers what the Lord said, that you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And like on cue, the rooster crows. And it says in 2262, he turned, he went out and wept bitterly. This is the moment that I believe that the rock was broken. He was crushed like wheat because Satan wanted to Simon Peter to think that he was crushed, that he was useless, that he was worthless, and that he should be the shaft, he should be thrown out. And if you've ever felt like that, know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is in you, with you in that moment. And he was broken to be remade. And in that moment, he wants you to know that you are not the worthless pieces, that you are those good pieces. He says right before he dies that if a seed goes into the ground, it's not until it dies that it becomes a living thing that can give life to others. And in that moment, Peter has to choose what he's gonna believe. Is he the worthless part or is he the good part? Because in the moment of breaking, you have to believe that you will also be remade. That's why our church is named Restoration Friends. Because God is always making things new. And he uses the pieces that we mess up. He uses the broken pieces. Because that gives him glory. I mean, people want to be great. They do. When are you most impressed and when do you most see God? When you see the person's weaknesses if we would just realize that in our weaknesses, God is made great. And that when we want to be great, it's often just a sin of wanting it to be about us. And Peter goes back to fishing. And Jesus dies and is resurrected and appears to them. And in these moments, this is in John 21, In these moments, he is listed as Simon Peter. He's not sure if he's hearing or he's rock. He doesn't know what he is and he doesn't know what to do. In that moment, Jesus comes to him because he will always come to you if you bring your brokenness to him. And when he hears Jesus say, you know, why don't you try and throw your nets on the other side? 
It's his friend John that's like, oh my gosh, that's the Lord. And what does Peter do? He jumps in the water. He leaves his friends to, to deal with the responsibilities of getting the net in, but he just runs to the Savior. See, when you are broken and remade, you don't become less of who you are. You actually become more of who you are. He's still passionate. He's still a little impetuous, but now he is under the power of God. His strength doesn't come from his personality. It comes from his humility. His strength comes from God, and this is who Jesus has always seen him to be. And so not once, not twice, but three times Jesus restores Peter, the rock, by calling him Simon. Hearing, hear me. Hearing, do you love me? Oh Lord, you know I love you. Hearing, hear this, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. Hearing, hear this, friends, in the room. Not John 21, here and now, 2016. Jesus says, hear this, I love you. I love you. You're broken and you're amazing your strengths, and the stuff that you despise. I love you. And in that moment, he is forgiven. In that moment, and shortly after that moment, he receives the Holy Spirit that remakes him, gives him the power to live this out. He can't live it out in our own strength, but the power of the Holy Spirit, yes. And now, he becomes the one who would be the rock someone who still hears Jesus, someone who's still passionate, but he leads from that place of humility. He still goes first. He just goes first in God's strength, and now he doesn't waver. Now he can be the firm foundation for everyone else, and that's what God allows us to do when we pray, break me and remake me. That's when God says, okay, I will, but it's to bring the good things that are already in you out to separate them from the not good. And, and Peter I mean, he does get to be pretty awesome in that after that moment, he gets to stand up after Jesus' resurrection in front of thousands and thousands of people and give the first sermon after Jesus to explain his death, resurrection, ascension, and salvation. And 3,000 people say yes to Jesus. That would be pretty awesome. But Peter knows at that time, he's the rock. It's not about him. It's about being a firm foundation for others to stand on and depend on. It's not about him and Jesus. It's about us. That's what it means to be broken and remade. God wants to refine you. Not because he's a villain. Not because he's a sadistic potter. Because he loves you. Because he knows on your own, you will mess up. I will mess up. But he also wants to not just refine us, he wants to restore us, he wants to strengthen us, he wants to confirm and establish us as whatever that seed is in you. You won't be rock unless that's who you're supposed to be. But God has a name for you like he had a name for Peter. It wasn't until... I was broken. And it's a process. So you get to be broken more than once. Just want to warn you. But it wasn't until I was broken and fully dependent on him 
And somebody started talking to me about what the good in me was. And I kept looking at the not good. Finally, they're like, do you know your name? Yeah, I know my name now. I'm the goofy cheerleader guy who goes first on the other side, who calls people from the sidelines who didn't get picked to come into God's adventure, to play in his kingdom, to contribute. That's, the, that's who I am. And the people who know me probably are laughing because they're like, yeah, that's kind of you. A little bit of cheerleader, a little bit of coach, right on the side, you know, in the middle of it, but asking people to come in, not taking it all. I never thought I was adequate. Never thought I was enough. So God had to break me of that thought, those lies of not being enough to show me that I was adequate, to show me that he was powerful in me. That's not Peter's story and that's not my story. That's, that's your story too. It's your story too. Why don't you hear what Peter says at the end of his life or towards the end of his life. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10. When he says, hey, this is not about you, really. Be sober and alert to your enemy, the devil. This is a spiritual battle. There's life and there's doubt and there's death. Your enemy, the devil, like a roaring lion, is on the prowl looking for someone to devour. So resist him, strong in your faith, because you know that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are enduring the same kinds of suffering. And after you have suffered a little while, I want you to hear this. This is Peter. This is the rock. This is Simon who says hearing. This is now the person who gives a firm foundation for others. The God of all grace, not the God who broke me and remade me, the God of all grace, the God of all favor, the God of all choosing, the God of all love, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. These are rock words. This is from a place that he has lived, and it's true. Can you bring all your weakness, all your doubts, all your stuff you despise, and can you just bring it to Jesus? And often, those whom God breaks the greatest, or the most, he uses the greatest. So, in being broken, we are remade. In being broken is how Jesus gave us life. Might it be true that this is the way that we are to share life with others? To be broken? And this isn't like for the pastor's, This is what Jesus says. If you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. In this invitation to life, it is to come and die to yourself. And that's where we find life. So again, we'll end where we started. Will you offer your life, your hopes, and your dreams, and your strengths, and your weaknesses, your whole life, your whole heart, your whole broken heart. And pray, break me, God, and remake me. I'll invite you to pray it with me, and I, you don't have to pray it, but God might be leading you to pray it.
worship team is going to come up. Jesus, who was broken so that we would have life. Jesus, break through whatever you need to break through in me. That's your prayer. You can pray it silently. You can pray it out loud. God doesn't care. Jesus, break through whatever you need to in me. My sin, my selfishness, my subtle tendencies of things that I hold way too tightly to. I release it, God. I give you my dreams, and I give you my strengths, and I give you my weaknesses and my failures. I'm holding nothing back because I want to know you intimately. Break me so that I fully depend on you and remake me, God, so that I am entirely useful and usable to you and your kingdom for your power and your glory forever, God, because it's not about me. It's not about us. It's about you. Break and remake me. Amen.